Hello friends, welcome to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. In this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I talk about heel striking. When it comes to running, it's a topic that in our eyes is really clear, but for some reason carries a lot of controversy, so we wanted to delve into it a bit deeper and explain our logic behind the way we're thinking. We talk about heel striking as it relates to walking and running, why humans start to heel strike, cushioned running shoes, running efficiency, and we hope that by the end, more people have a better understanding of why it's important to prioritize running form and why getting out of cushioned shoes and off your heels is so important. This episode is sponsored by the TFC Foot Nerd Program. It's an online education platform we're launching this year to build a global network of people who understand the body starting at the feet and hips and can help others resolve the problems. The program is also designed to expand our TFC instructor team so we can scale up our seminars and workshops and give more of them around the world each year. Applications for the February cohort uh, for class of 2019 are closed, but the next round of applications for the June cohort will open again in May. Module 1 is available online, and it describes why we created the program, what's included, the costs, how to apply, and and any other relevant information if you're curious. For more information on that, visit thefootcollective.com and click on the Foot Nerd Program tab. This episode is also sponsored by our travel partner, Nook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear for our seminars and workshops. They make super high quality cases in Canada, and it's just a really nice way to protect our electronics and our precious gear when we go away on trips. You never know what the airline guys are throwing around back there, so it's, um, it's, it's been a really good product for us to use, and we highly recommend them. More information on those available at nanook.com, N-A-N-U-K.com. That's it for sponsors, so let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the tea. FC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies, starting at the feet or the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Hey folks, Nick and Mike here, back for another episode of Shop Talk. Today's topic, we're going to talk about heel striking. So we'll start by differentiating, breaking it into two categories, uh, walking and running. And I think heel striking is something that I... There's a lot of people debating the heel strike, um, especially in regard to running. And I think once you understand the mechanics of running and once you take a good look at running and how humans are adapted to run, because our bodies are literally endurance running machines, um, so we've evolved to do very well. When you look at it and understand it, you realize that the heel strike argument really holds no water and heel striking is really a silly thing to even debate. Um, and so we want to go through that and demystify that a little bit, break it out. Um, and then even talk about like why heel striking is so prevalent, despite it being such a harmful and, um, inefficient, um, locomotion pattern with running. So we'll talk about that a bit. So why don't we start with now, just, just to start off with, we are going to quote some research studies because everyone wants research and there might not be a research study exactly for each thing that we're talking about, but there is research in the background that helps us form our arguments. So we're going to talk about some of those and you know, this stuff on the podcast, this stuff is an opinion. It's science. We use a logical, rational kind of mindset when coming up with arguments to, to kind of debate. Um, we're open to be proven wrong. And we're not, these aren't emotional arguments that, that, that we say personally. They're things that, they're opinions that we form based on the science that we have. And we're still discovering science, so our opinions will change. Um, but I think it's important to mention that. So let's separate it into two categories, walking and running. Let's start with walking because they're different. Right. And I think that's important to mention. So walking. And I think another thing is just the saying heel striking um, can be misleading, too, because when we talk about walking, 
there's a difference between like striking your heel forcefully on the ground and your heel actually coming in contact with the ground first. If we put a camera on your heel. Yeah. So we're talking about and those the heel are two initiating contact with yeah. your heel, but not slamming your heel. Exactly. So yeah. in walking, that is perfectly reasonable. Now in walking, it's all about how efficient you are. So there's a difference between you landing with your heel outstretched and slamming into the ground. And a lot of people are actually doing that. And I found myself doing that, um, you know, not to the extreme, but when I was wearing traditional shoes, I realized that kind of warped my walking pattern into something where I could get away with that. And then mm-hmm. I was the person in, in my, I've t- talked about it before, but in my house where I, you could hear me, the floor slamming above, just away. slamming, slamming, slamming. Yeah. So when I started, stopped wearing shoes, I realized, oh, we need to be a bit more efficient when we're walking. So nonetheless, it's okay if your heel contacts the ground first, but you become, I think walking, distinguished from running, is you become that, you're, you're landing with more, more of a dorsiflexed ankle. You're becoming a mobile adapter and you're, you're allowing your foot to pronate and absorb shock and it's absorbing impact as well. And then you're becoming a rigid lever to pr- push off and propel yourself forward. Mm-hmm. So, so when you, when you took your shoes off, you allowed yourself to get the sensory feedback from the ground saying that you were impacting hard too hard so it's one of those things where it's not necessarily the ground the actual density of the ground you're walking on that matters it's how you interact with the ground and how you absorb and what what is your relationship with the ground in terms of how you absorb impact that is more important so it's not everyone loves having a shoe conversation oh this shoe's better than this shoe or we're not supposed to walk on hard ground it's like those are the wrong conversations to have it's how are you walking how are you Mm. actually moving and the only way you can get good feedback as to whether you're moving well or not is to have your feet be able to feel the ground like have bare feet or have shoes that inhibit the sensory input as little as possible so that's an important one to mention and i think that if you look at walking too we can you can break it down it should almost look like a pendulum effect as well so Mm -hmm. i think a lot of people still are overstriding in the walking and just the fact is they're landing too hard Mm -hmm. for the given ground and a lot of the ground is the same but if you think about landing still a little bit close to your body, it's okay to, to contact your heel first, but you should be very soft. Uh, the big thing that people are, are failing to do when they're walking is is actually striding out in the backwards direction. Yeah. So I think we've got this thing, and, and I read this study. Yeah, I read this study um, that said like the the energy cost. They were studying the energy cost of older adults yeah. uh, in their gait patterns. And the big finding that they found was hip extension moment. And and the ability to extend your hip was a big reason why people were less efficient and they were spending more energy to actually get through their walking stride as an older adult. And that makes sense, right? You can't extend that pendulum through the back end. So you're not making use of the, the whole propulsion mechanism that goes from big toe all the way up to the hip. Yeah. Right. So I think that is kind of something to consider. But I think and, that you and consider it's more work. Like if yeah. you look at it, say one of those pendulum things with those balls that swing. Okay, when when the ball and the string goes one way, gravity is already wanting to bring it the other way, right? Like like mm-hmm. you're using gravity as something to help you swing uh, an object back and forth. If you run into a wall, not only do you not have gravity helping to bring your leg forward, but at terminal extension, your hip flexor is in a stretched, lengthened position and is the is in the best position to fire and bring you forward. So mm-hmm. if you hit a wall and you don't actually stretch those muscles, it's very hard for that muscle to contract as forcefully and reflexively if it doesn't get to a stretched position. So yeah. the energy cost of walking turns in, and I think you see it too. You watch some older people walking around whose bodies, have, you can tell, have gone through a lot of time spent sitting in chairs, and it's just very non-functional. It looks hard. They're using a lot of energy to just walk and move, and I think that's part of the reason that they don't walk and move as much. It's just way harder for them. And yeah, exactly. A lot of that is... so. 
you could say that walking is absorbing and then creating triple extension moment. Mm-hmm. And triple extension is that, you know, that, that propulsion mechanism you just talked about. So just how that whole posterior chain kind of lights up and pushes you forward. So hip extension, ankle, a plantar flexion are the biggest ones. The knees extending along the way, it's not locking out. Um, ankle dorsiflexion, right? Uh, plantar oh, flexion when you're, yeah, right, when you're right, pushing right. off. Yeah. So I think that when we're walking, you can look at it as we're trying to, we're not trying to land in a trip in triple extension which which we'll talk about next which which running is you're landing in triple extension you're creating like a like right away it, it's a it's an immediate sequencing of that of that triple extension to create that elastic propulsion that we want now when we're when we're walking we don't need that right mm-hmm. um so you so you're just you're creating it out of after you absorb the impact you you're recreating propulsion force as you so, go off so walking versus running like if you look at um Olympic walking. The mm-hmm. rule is both of your feet must be in ground contact at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that's really what differentiates walking. Walking is you're always, uh, no, not both feet at the same you time. You can't Sorry. leave the ground with yes. both feet. Yeah. One foot always has to be in contact with the ground. Yeah. Um, and so versus running where there's periods of time where none of your body, where neither of your feet are touching the ground. So you're basically landing from an airborne state, whereas mm-hmm. walking, you're always in contact with the ground. And that's that's the biggest distinguisher, right? When you're landing yeah. your full body from being airborne, it's a significantly different amount of force coming down. And then it becomes much more important about how you buffer that force and also recycle it into the next step. Yeah. So walking, you know, the heel striking with walking, I think the big take home is if you wear cushion shoes, you can slam your heels in the ground way harder with walking than mm-hmm. probably what you should. And yeah. in order to get the feedback to say that that's not a good pattern to, to even know that you're doing that, you didn't realize it until you took shoes off, went barefoot, and realized how hard it was. And you just cleaned up, you kind of softened your ground impact. Yeah. Right? It's but self-corrected almost. Yeah. And, it, you know, being mindful of it was the biggest key in that. It's like, oh, I'm landing hard, so let's try to soften that. And and that for a lot of the patients that I see too, it's that simplifies things. Mm-hmm. If you just use these simple terms, you know, walk soft, walk mm-hmm. quietly, walk gently, absorb follow through yeah so the some people get different different cues but the big thing is just soft people get it right and you made um the post you did the other day where you said good outputs require good inputs i think it was something like that yeah that's very powerful and i think that applies to walking a lot because if you mm-hmm. take out the good inputs how are you supposed to get good outputs yeah right? if you take away if you blindfold your feet you cannot get the right input in order to understand how you should be ambulating exactly um, so and obviously heel striking like like we talked about at the start heel strike makes it sound like it's a very harsh thing. But really what we're talking about is the heel, your calcaneus, your heel bone, initiating, being the first point of contact, um, and then how you kind of move move from there. So, And obviously heel striking with walking is a is not really a problem apart from the fact that people are striking or are hitting hard. Yeah, um, and I would say too, like I think that there's a spectrum too, yeah. right? Because your, your foot's almost landing when you're walking. Uh, it should be laying more like almost close to flat. Like it, yeah. it's, it should be hard to distinguish right under your body. if you want to get technical with it. Mm-hmm. It's not like we're like, it's still not like we're, we're putting our heel right out and, mm-hmm. and, st- and going soft at that in that manner. But well, I got like in our, um, in the seminar, we do the walking drill section. We start off with that really slow motion walking to get people to walk softly. Someone asked me that they're like, yeah, it feels really weird for my foot to go in, far, in front of my body. And I was like, yeah, you know what? That's so true. Like we're doing this as a drill. But when you actually walk, you're right under your body mm-hmm. almost. Like That's it's it almost is. it's like microscopic how much you initiate with your heel and you can't even see it unless you're in a slow motion. The whole camera. pendulum effect, right? Yeah. So Okay. So that's walking. Go barefoot. See how you're interacting with the ground. 
he'll strike them with the And Irene Davis, um, what? Because <laughs> someone sent something in one time and was like, "How do you know we're supposed to heel strike when walking? Maybe we should forefoot strike." And we just talked about this before, and I think uh, we just have to. I got to think about it a little bit more. But what really solidified it for me was in Irene Davis, basically um, on a podcast. I heard her say that the pressure point threshold for the heel to signify the the pain pressure threshold for the heel is um, just above what a normal heel striking force is with walking. Basically, what she said was that according to what it, the amount of force it takes for the heel to signal pain, we're okay to heel strike when walking because that's not going to give us pain over time. That was what mm-hmm. she said. So she, um, she's a pretty smart lady. I listened to what she says. So um, that was one thing that kind of showed me, okay, it's normal to heel strike when walking. But like we talked about, sorry to be repetitive, but um, heel strike softly. The heel strike is subtle. Be soft when you're walking. That's the biggest thing with that. Let's get into running because this is the... This is really the one that requires a lot more unpacking, and it requires unpacking because there's so many people that seem to think it's normal to slam your heels into the ground when you run. Mm-hmm. And so talking about how did we get to this situation where this is actually possible, because if you're barefoot, you can't heel strike. It hurts like hell. You don't do it for very long. It's self-limiting. So I think that at its core is one extremely powerful um, kind of statement, and we'll talk about that. But you looked up a bunch of research that together, taking, you know, by deduction, Okay, A is a fact, B is a fact, A plus B equals C. Let's go through that and, and really talk about, um, you know, give some literature to back up the fact that heel striking when running is not a normal human pattern. Yeah, so when we're, when we're walking, there's that impact absorption through that pronation of the foot, becoming a mobile adapter, rigid lever. Mm-hmm. Running is a, a different animal. So we want to take advantage of elastic energy when we're, when we're running. So... Mm-hmm. I think the two main points that will guide this throughout are efficiency and injury reduction. So the, the, all the studies show that... Which are the same thing. Both. But yes. Both is the same thing. Um, but you could also argue that like efficiency also equals you're using less energy. And it's, it's actually more efficient on your system to, to act because you're using less muscular energy. You're using more elastic energy. Mm-hmm. So, so you're... If you want to make running more efficient and economical for you, then you want to be using that elasticity. Yeah. But like I said, hand in hand with that, you, you got a whole other slew of studies that show when you land a certain way, injury reduction uh, is, a, is a big component of that. So um, we'll go through a few of those. Well, like the way I think about it is what are you absorbing impacts with? Are you absorbing it with your muscles and passive structures like your fascia and your ligaments? Or are you absorbing it with your skeleton? Mm-hmm. And one of them is going to be very hard on the body and is going to be extremely inefficient because the skeleton does not store energy. No. Or are you using your ligaments and muscles to absorb and store the energy, which shelters your skeleton, your joints from impact forces, but also allows you to recycle that energy and improve your elastic storage of running? That's the biggest thing in all of this. So can you recycle energy? Yes. Right? That's why skipping, getting runners to skip, like that is so powerful as an assessment tool to see. I wonder how efficient this person um, is when running. Get them to skip. If they're the ones that look like it's a bag of cement slamming on the ground each time, they have to retake off each Mm -hmm. hop versus the person that looks like literally they're on a pogo stick and they just have springs. Like you can tell which one's your more efficient runner and which one's likely to get injured. Like is it a collision? Is it a... Uh, halting collision every time they hit the ground or is it a springy action no exactly that's huge so that's the that's the, so that's the biggest thing and and the way you interact with the ground is is going to be the ter- determinant of how well you store and release energy mm-hmm. so if you look into the studies um 
you know, one basic one was step frequency. And there's tons of studies on step frequency. And a lot of them play around with a, a metronome. So they'll, mm-hmm. they'll get people to demonstrate their normal running stride. And then they'll say they're going to increase that for, uh, from different, in different parameters. So, uh, 10% increase in step frequency, 20% increase, 15% increase, all the way up to like 30, 35. Different studies show different things. One of them was, uh, did a 10% increase in step frequency and a 15% increase. And they were, there was both a significant difference in landing pattern from, it was majority heel striking at the start to more of a midfoot or a forefoot when they measured it under uh, a camera. So they go from heel striking, they increase their, they increase their step frequency, step frequency, more steps per minute, shortening up their stride, and it makes them go from a heel strike to a forefoot strike. Yeah. So that was just people listening to a metronome. Boom, boom, mm-hmm. boom. Listen to this metronome. We're going to increase you 10%, 50%, 20%. Cool. Another study... Um, that actually wanted to measure because this study was measuring is from Hubera and uh, colleagues in 2012. They were, they wanted to look at these um, indicators of tibial stretch fracture. Mm -hmm. So the, the forces going up through the, through the shin basically, and they altered step frequency as well. So they, they took somebody and then they increased their step frequency by 15% and by 30%. And for both conditions, um, there was a significant difference in loading variables um, that were, that were indicating, um, that were sorry correlated with tibial stress fracture so significant decrease in these the loading that's going through this lower leg when you just increase your step uh step rate so, so increased step rate lower stresses on the skeleton exactly and did that coincide with a change in the heel or in the foot um initiation pattern as well so the first study I talked about did coincide they all they were saying is like it, when we tell somebody to follow this metronome and then we increase their step rate where does it change how they land and mm-hmm. yes it does Correct. and that's kind of common sense it's like if we yeah. get people to strike faster or to uh to run faster um or sorry like just turn over faster you're mm-hmm. gonna land you're not gonna over stride as much so it's you gonna clean you don't it. have the chance no to. you can't exactly and and then there's plenty of other studies that are saying just by um Injury reduction just by uh, de- increasing frequency, right? So you're landing more more often, and that's why there's the common like 180 beats per minute. Uh, yeah. So this is thrown around a lot. All of the all of the good running researchers, uh, Jada Chari in this in the states too, he says the same thing. Hundred, you know, 180 beats per minute. 180. About that's right, important. Um, I had a runner one time that was like fixated on. Oh, I got to get 180. Yeah, I got to get 180. I chose a song that has 180 beats per minute. I'm like, yes, it's important to know that that's a good number, but just. I think what everyone's trying to get get the point across is get close to that number. You don't have to be yeah. exactly that number, no. but increase Well, what the number means is generally people are lower than that. So yeah. what it means is that generally people need to increase their step frequency. Generally, people are overstriding and heel striking. Yeah. so That's kind of what that means based on what you just Exactly. Said. So you can relate it to the other study, which shows that increasing step frequency, step frequency uh, will lead to them landing more on midfoot. Um, and then when they increase it even more, uh, more a little bit more forefoot. So mm-hmm. now... This is important stuff because we are humans are adapted to be extremely proficient um, endurance running machines. How can 75 on average, 75 percent of runners will get injured once a year, will have an injury once a year. Mm. How can 75 percent of people doing something we're designed and adapted to do perfectly be getting injured? And it's like we're not running correctly. So no. what are the factors that are stopping us from running correctly? How do you get people to understand those factors? And how do you get them to understand how to bring the running back in line to the way we're adapted to run? This is important because it's, I, I feel like there's so much confusion in the running space. And it's always a shoe conversation and no one talks about how well they're moving. But we really have to bring it back to basics. And talking about the heel strike is really kind of getting back to that root of we're not running right. Yeah. 
And why aren't we? Well, so we'll talk about that later. Yeah, exactly. And, and like a lot of this is very simple. And another study by Lenhart in 2015 showed that, again, increased step rate alters running form in a way that significantly decreases the magnitude and rate of patellofemoral loading. So there was significantly reduced uh, patellofemoral joint forces going through um, when they did, again, metronome, just to increase step rate. So, so patellofemoral is knee, knee joint. Yeah, knee joint loading. So so they, and then they made the deductions that this is, um, they equated it to to pain, um, patellofemoral pain syndrome and all these other things. But the mm-hmm. biggest thing that they found is just the, the biomechanics of decreasing or increasing your step rate. Um, Sorry, would again reduce the stresses that they measure going through this this joint. So, so it's, it's like the knee. increased step rate, less stress on your skeleton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds like exactly. kind of the trend here. So, so that's that's interesting. And when you relate it biomechanically to people who who are just looking at efficiency, that's what I started to get into next. So we're seeing all these studies that say that okay, well, by taking more steps, you're going to land more on your midfoot, forefoot. And that also equates to all these other studies, which show that you're putting less stress through your system. Tibial stress fractures in these parameters, patellofemoral joint, these parameters. Um, so these are all good things so far. And they're, t- they're saying, so all of the, the conclusions in these studies were like, okay, well, maybe we should get people running with these, you know, uh, higher frequencies, right? Yeah. And then if you look at more of the biomechanics side of things, Farley and Gonzalez, Journal Biomechanics, um, Leg Spring Mechanics, they were just looking at that, right? Mm-hmm. So they said, when you land, the most important factor altering stride frequency to a higher rate is that the leg spring becomes stiffer. And you can actually use the leg as a spring. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we're talking about. And what they're talking about is that when you land, and that equates to back to when you land with your leg already underneath you close to underneath you when you land with more of a, a, a four foot strike mm-hmm. your leg is pre-tensioned and it's and it's there for you and, it, and it's a spring which you can then recoil from and, and recycle this elastic energy mm-hmm. right so i think that you you tie all this stuff together and it's like well well the biggest factor in all of that is you're, you're loading your joints less and you're turning your leg into more of a spring when you when you run a certain way which is loading your joints less and your muscular system more yeah and loading your joints less is not only good for injury prevention it is also much more efficient because yeah. like we said your skeleton does not store energy your muscles and ligaments do may as well load them the ligaments and muscles because it shelters your joints but it also stores this energy that can be reused every stride it's way more efficient exactly and that's why like jada sherry says 50 percent of the energy of running comes from muscles 50 percent comes from that's elasticity it. so if you're not using if you heel strike and you're not using your springs you are using 100 percent more energy to run because you're not using the 50 percent elastic exactly so it's performance too like people that are like ah, i don't care about injury prevention I care about running faster. It's like, yeah, we're talking about the same shit here. It's the same thing. It's it's funny because um, I actually didn't get the uh, the authors of this other study that I was looking at, but they actually showed that when a barefoot runner was more efficient than somebody with heavily cushioned shoes, and the authors were confused at first because they were saying they concluded they they thought that they the uh, the shoe the shod runner would get more of like the the actual bounce from the ground, which would mm-hmm. make them more efficient. But they're like, how come? they're less efficient and it's and it's the way it's the way they're running right Mm -hmm. um but that biomechanical study it's all they equated it to the stretch shortening cycle so when you contact the ground in basically when you contact the ground and your foot's coming backward you're landing in a plantar flexion moment Mm -hmm. and you're taking 
advantage of that stretch recoil cycle and it's like boom it's right there for you as you land and that's tensioning that whole posterior chain which yep. with then it's it's that classic like big toe slash forefoot to glute connection it's like boom and, and it gives your spring, whole body right? integrity like it tensions up all of your fascia because all these muscles turn on at the same time exactly. at the same time and it gives you like this yeah this this kind of tension moment through your whole body to create rigidity so that that stability can can allow you to generate force whereas mm-hmm. if you don't use that if you heel strike and you don't force force the turning on of all these different muscles and fascial systems you're at the whim of gravity right like your 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 likelihood of collapsing down against gravity because you don't have that tension developed through your lower extremity is much greater mm-hmm. aside from the fact that you're not recycling any energy and the other thing to note is that this is a it's a spectrum as well so so when you're when somebody's like jogging let's say versus versus sprinting those are those are also it's it's the same thing but it, it's different it's different qualities of it. Your your leg is going to have to act like a, a greater spring to demonstrate more triple extension power mm-hmm. as you're sprinting, obviously, to, to generate more propulsion. Um, your body's going to have to be tilted differently, but but the same things are happening. Even if you're running on at a slower pace, mm-hmm. you still want to rely on that elasticity. For sure. That's what all the studies are saying, um, because that's just going to buffer this impact a lot more. It's going to still allow you to be a spring. You just don't have to be as, like, if you think about it as, like, a high-performance vehicle, where you want the shocks really tuned and, and to demonstrate power, that's not going to be necessarily be what you need on a uh, you know an average uh, soccer mom driving driving their kids around. You don't need a, the minivan having um, you know these yeah. high tuned suspension shocks. Yeah, you don't need the car springs on a minivan yeah. because it's not driving through the desert. But it doesn't mean you need no springs. That's yeah, because if you don't, that van's getting destroyed. The chassis of that van is taking a lot yeah. of impact if there's zero travel in the springs. So even that's vans, it. minivans that are designed to drive around on smooth surfaces still have springs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what we're getting there is if you don't forefoot strike, if you don't strike on the front of your foot or off your heel, just basically off your heel is really the only thing we've got to say, um, then you're not, you have zero travel in your suspension. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like a it's and and the only reason you're allowed to do that is because there's a cushion on top of your heel bone that removes the sensory input saying, ouch, I just landed on my heel and use no natural shock absorption strategy. Yeah, exactly. Take away the shoot. Like it's one of those funny things where, well, one thing is that people will say, oh, well, look at these elite runners. Okay, look at this. Look at person X. They are an elite level marathon runner. They heel strike. Why do they heel strike? We're not saying some people don't get away with heel striking. Okay, what we're saying is that the shoes off, the, almost always a cushion shoe allows you to heel strike. And just because person X is doing it and competing at a high level does not mean it's an optimal pattern, right? LeBron James has destroyed feet. It doesn't, and he's still the best basketball player in the world. It doesn't mean go mangle your feet. You're going to be shooting three pointers all day. Yeah. You can't, it's a, it's a false logic there. And I think we got to get but away you, from that. If you look at the, I was watching a documentary on these, these four, uh, Four dudes who are trying to bake the two-hour mark on the marathon. I just can't recall their names. I'll have to look them up. Mm-hmm. But they... Kiptrobe um, or something like that? I can't recall. But yeah. if you look at... So their stories are very similar. They were born in Africa. One of the guys, you know, he only started wearing uh, running with shoes um, like later on, like 12, 13, 14 years old. So, But if you look at all their strides, they're actually wearing cushioned shoes. But um, they're, the way they're landing is like they're... 
like they're completely barefoot. They're they're landing and they're they're re- beautifully recycling this energy. Mm-hmm. They're landing right underneath their body. So yeah, I wouldn't expect anything less from the ex- top exactly, top people, right? So it's 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 a matter of efficiency and injury reduction. Uh, but if you're trying to squeak out more running economy and more efficiency, this is the way to do it. Is is take advantage of the storage and release of energy. People get fired up when it comes to this this topic. I think yeah. one of the big and I thought about tried to think about this a lot. Um, even in the past month, I tried to think about like, why do people get so defensive and so upset when you talk about how we shouldn't be heel striking? And I think it boils down to the fact that if you are a runner and for 20 years, you've been running in your whatever, your Nike Pegasus, whatever your favorite running shoe is, and you've been heel striking and someone says heel striking is not an efficient way to run. And it's actually a dangerous way to run on your body. And you've been running like that for 20 years. The dissonance there of the fact that you've been wrong for 20 years um, mm. or been doing things wrong or suboptimally gets you pissed off. And so your your interest is in defending your position more so than just like having an open mind being like, I wonder if this makes sense. And our what we're trying to do is just try to make this make sense as much as possible. Because I think in your and my brain, it's unequivocal to say that heel striking should not happen with running. Yeah. What is stopping people from being able to understand or absorb or, or kind of like wrap their head around this? Because it needs to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's like all of the biomechanical studies that I... That like the the whole story that's been painted with all the studies like that was that both from that injury reduction standpoint like and and I found the the two most common things in terms of injury and pain were, were knee pain and um, shin splints and or tibial stress fractures so those are closely related also so, skeletal yeah, loading so those problems are, those are the two most common ones in all the studies and, and all the studies were saying that I looked at were saying can we if we increase step frequency do we put less load and and there's less instance of these things happening so it's mm-hmm. like okay cool. So I don't know where where kind of the, the disconnect is. Take your shoes off, see how you run. Yeah. yeah, that's that's like a beautiful thing that anyone like if you see them in person. Obviously, like when you're talking on social media and people are talking through the matrix, can say whatever they want without any repercussion, and you're not face to face with them. You can't. Sometimes you just can't have a rational conversation with people, and that's fine. And that's not the right medium for it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you get someone that has been running in a cushion shoe their whole life and feels that heel striking is the way to go because that's just how they've been doing it. One, they have to be open-minded, right? To, to, to just be open-minded that there is a better way. And then all you have to do is get them on a, like the, the surface in the clinic, the hard rubber flooring, right? It's really very little compliance. It's may as well be, it's got a concrete underlay. So it's like, there's hardly any give there. Get them to just do like a little lap in the clinic with no shoes on. And just see how they impact the ground. And a lot of those people will probably still feel like, oh, yeah, I'm heel striking. And if you actually take a slow-mo video, they're not. Because their body naturally gravitates to using your springs when you land on a hard surface. This is how we should be running. And you can still run like that in a cushioned shoe, right? Like you can, Mm -hmm. it's not really a a shoe conversation. We're we're trying to get people to understand it's a conversation about how you're moving and how you're interacting with the ground. Mm -hmm. The shoe is independent from that. However, I do think that shoes with heel cushioning allow you to run poorly and in my opinion and i'm curious to hear your thoughts about this when we get into the shoe part i think it promotes a heel strike yeah well the i think it definitely allows for it that like that's because again back to that like if you get more sensory input then mm-hmm. that's going to allow you to get better motor output right yeah. so so we talked about that with the walking and the same thing is true with with running so 
if you're just not feeling how you're landing, well, obviously you're not getting the, the sensory feedback to dictate a better motor response out of that. You're not going to, you're, you're not going to need to change things. If you're, if you're not getting, there's no stimulus to change. Yeah. I did that post the other day where it was like good sensory deprivation when it was a float tank and then bad sensory deprivation. Mm-hmm. And it was a shoe company that starts with H and ends with Oka um, that put massive slabs of cushioning under people's feet. And yeah. I understand it, it. All these companies are trying to help people. Right, they're trying to find a solution to a problem. Problem, people are breaking down when they're running. Solution, cushion the foot and, and absorb some of the impact forces. The issue with that is that it has unintended consequences. You let people move extremely poorly, despite having a huge amount of impact absorption external to the foot, permits you to move poorly and get no impact absorption internally from the body. Because guess what? So it's harder on the body. Exactly. Because in order to actually demonstrate natural springiness from your body, your body has to do the appropriate things to act like a spring and it doesn't even end with a posterior chain in order to actually sequence your posterior chain correctly you need the appropriate proximal stability so you need you need core stability you need to be able to organize your posture um, in in your midsection in a way that allows you to to demonstrate hip extension and uh, and propulsion like it's just common sense so these are all things that it's just like cueing you and the same thing when you're when you're walking like when in order to walk efficiently you're like oh it, it just the cost is is slightly more, I would say it's it's slightly more initial energy needed to to actually organize your body correctly to demonstrate this pattern. Mm-hmm. But the, the benefits are you can take advantage of the natural springiness after that. Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of the conversation is just people need to be rebuild. If, if you are looking to revamp your running stride, you need to actually recondition the, the entire that 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 elastic chain that we're talking about the the achilles the calf the, the whole posterior chain you need to first of all get good at sequencing it or start to, to to think about that but also just build up the actual tissue tissue tolerance to to loading because it's going to be having to accept more load if you run differently mm-hmm. the benefit of, of that accepting more load is these other things are accepting less load telfemoral joint like we talked mm-hmm. about shin all of that and that's that's all good because the posterior chain and that's that's the whole back to the vibram thing there the whole thing was people were starting to get achilles problems and mm-hmm. uh plantar fascia which is like oh this is a whole new slew of things but that's what exactly what we want it's just a matter of tissue tolerance at that point one of the things that i read recently in this um this book what the foot by gary ward which is blowing my brain and it's gonna take me a while to digest it I th- i'm pretty sure it was in there that i read it he says the pre-installed hardware uh, the pre-installed software is perfect and essentially we develop all these viruses throughout our life mm-hmm. so it's less about having to, to put brand new software on although i think that still is a good way to kind of explain it sometimes and it's more about okay you have this perfect pre-installed software and you have all these viruses later on right a virus might be if you're locking hip mobility that's a virus mm-hmm. you got to get rid of that virus once you get rid of all the viruses all that's left is to actually exert yourself in these movement patterns and your body wants to get towards demonstrating it perfectly it's just there's so many these viruses are like obstacles to to exhibiting or or being able to display good movement form for sure and there's so many freaking like that's the hard part of this conversation is a runner comes in with knee pain okay the pain they've had they always say tricky knees i've had tricky knees for 10 years and the pain now is stopping me from being able to run they expect a quick solution and it's like, this is not a superficial, do you want a band-aid to just control the pain until the next time you get pain? Because if we do that, I guarantee you're going to get pain again. Mm-hmm. Or do you want to actually break your whole body down to the point where we understand the root cause of why you're getting pain in your knee, 
do you want to pull back on the amount of running you're doing right now? Because that's going to be necessary in order for you to heal and actually restore this body. And do you want to rebuild a sustainable running practice? Because that's yeah. not, it's, it, it's really not, there's a lot of variables. So I'm not going to say it's simple, but it's not that hard to do. It just requires you to, um, to understand things, to understand how your body works. Because it's not a simple solution. Right, because there's so many variables, there's so many viruses later on your body from 40 years of working at a desk job that this is going to require a good amount of effort, time, and patience. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people that actually do that get these magic, th- these amazing results where they can run and they don't have pain, and running gets back to being effortless, which is how it should be in humans. When we talk about endurance running. Um, but I think just so many people just aren't willing to be honest with themselves and say, do I want to put in the work to actually get a body that works, not just for running, but like to actually be able to move for the rest of my life without breaking down. That's mm-hmm. really the bigger thing that you can get people's buy-in from. It's a long-term, so, well, it's just short-term versus long-term thinking. So if, yeah. if people want to continue with the, so, I mean, the, that pain signal should be listened to, um, better i think in a lot in a lot of people so like pain is just mm-hmm. we've gotten so disconnected from it but the, like if you're getting pain when you run it's like that's well auto- automatically it's like <laughs> well that that's not normal like it's very not normal so um so if you're getting pain when you run look into it but if you want to run long term you you want to look at okay what's the best way i can run long term the best yeah. way to run long term is is breaking these things down and say how, how can i be how can i run with the most efficiency and how can I run in a way that reduces my chances of injury? Yes. And all the studies are pointing to exactly what we're talking about. Get so off you, your heels. Irene get, Davis, yeah. get off your heels. Daniel Lieberman, stop overstriding. Yeah. Like these are common, common threads. Increasing strep frequency by 15%, 30%. Yeah. Landing as close to underneath your body as possible. These are all of the things that these running researchers and uh, running therapists, everybody's saying the same thing. And people are saying it in different ways. Yeah. All the studies are saying frequency, um, along with frequency, there's decreased contact time. Because um, those are low, so that, low-hanging fruits, right? Yeah. Like increasing your step frequency is a low-hanging fruit. We don't want to simplify it saying that's the only thing you need to do. You need to get a body that has normal physiological range of motion at important joints like the ankle and the hip. Those, exactly. those need to be done. But low-hanging fruit, change how you run. It's like when someone comes in with... And when they squat, they get pain. And in 10 minutes of just helping them understand how to sit into their hips, become a more hip-dominant squatter and less knee-dominant, in 10 minutes, they have no pain with the squat. doesn't mm-hmm. mean the squat's perfect. No. But you just changed how they move and got rid of their symptoms. Same thing with running. Increase your step frequency. Change how you're running. Take away some of the pain by taking away the load on your skeleton. But then actually bite in and dig into why, what other things you have to change to make running actually sustainable. Yeah, exactly. And what matters most, as you already mentioned, it's, it's the, the way you run matters most. The other thing is just, it's core, like classic jadatari core control, rotational control, hip dominance. So mm-hmm. this is the way you move, not just the way you run. So can you, can you move? Can you sequence your core? Can you, you know, can you have the appropriate control through that, through that midsection? Can you use your slings? These are all things that are like icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to show up when you take away these barriers to being able to express that. Yep. Uh, and a lot of that is just giving yourself more sensory feedback. Um, and again, it's like you can use these you know, use padded shoes if you want. A lot of the studies actually considered a minimalist shoe uh, with, there was two, I think I read with minimalist shoe, they considered one centimeter of, of cushion. So it's not that we, we, we would consider as like a more human shoe or, or barefoot shoe, which is like hardly any. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that was one of the parameters in a lot of these studies. And they said from a one centimeter to a 2.5 centimeter, there was a significant difference in mm-hmm. in the way they were interacting interact with the ground, right? So, so we're not saying just, you know, we're not saying go completely barefoot running, um, skin to the pavement uh, <laughs> right away. It's just, yeah. these are all things you should think about in the, in the, in the general context 
context context of things. Yeah, I mean the big um, important one, the non-negotiables in my opinion are flat and wide forefoot. Yeah. Okay. The amount if you have, and I think this this kind of leads into the segue of footwear because I, I really think that heel striking and people breaking down with running is one of the ways that the footwear industry has had a significant negative impact on the health of humans. And it sucks because it was actually a very well-intentioned solution to a problem that was seen um, by one of the pioneers in the world of footwear, Bill Bowerman, one of the co-founders of Nike. They put, I think their Nike Cortez, I could be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure their Nike Cortez was the first shoe. And this is like the classic shoe. Have you, I think you've worn Nike, a pair of Nike Cortez in your life. Oh, yeah. So have I. It's like the classic signature shoe from Nike. It was the first track training shoe that they made in-house. Because they used to be blue ribbon, they they sold tigers, and I think the Cortez was the first one they made. But it was the first one with um, an elevated heel, as far as I know, and cushioning. Mm-hmm. And Bill Borman thought that striding out or lengthening your stride was a way for his athletes to run faster. And the problem he found was that people were starting to break down. So he put cushioning in the heel so that when you strided out or, or lengthened your stride, you had some impact absorption at the foot. Right, His solution to too much impact on the body was put cushioning on the shoe well-intentioned problem is like we talked about it had unintended consequences of people using riding their heels more right using more of the heel strike because they were now allowed to do so and what i said before is not only does cushioning allow you to heel strike right if you don't have cushioning on your heel you can't heel strike it hurts it's self-limiting you don't do it but the fact that you have an elevated heel okay the way that i thought about the other day was if your foot is landing um as if it was going to land flat Okay, hypothetically, but you have an elevated heel on your shoe, by default, the heel of your shoe will impact the ground before your forefoot. Mm-hmm. So it actually not only allows a heel strike, it actually promotes a heel strike. And that's, I think, where the problem lies, where you get people using these shoes with slabs of cushioning or big air bubbles. You know, it's just, that's where it started. It started with like a tiny, and the, the only way you could see that there was cushioning was that there was a tiny little slit at the heel that was different colored foam. That's what the Cortez had as mm-hmm. cushioning. Now it's evolved to like the Air 360 or Air 180 from Nike, where there's literally an air bubble and you see some ads from Nike giving kind of visuals about these shoes and there's like a foot and then there's a pillow, a spring, a jelly bubble. Like it's just gotten so out of control where we think as much cushioning or as fancy or as cool cushioning as possible is good. That's the exact same thing that's causing us to to run terribly, and I think we not, we got to get away from that. It was, it's funny if you look at like a in the in the Olympics when you look at the uh, people with the amputated legs, mm-hmm. what is the, what is that that they replace it with? It's a giant spring. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's they not replace it with a giant air bubble. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a giant spring, and it's yeah. like that's a very it's good getting point. more and more that. towards that. So like, well, why is it a giant spring? Well, because mm-hmm. it's efficient way to run. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if like if you take that same example, I was walking around with my boots the other day. It's the same thing. It's like if you have a heel in a pair of boots. Even just walking, you're going to land with your heel more. I almost had to like consciously angle my foot into how you walk to plantar flexion a little bit more, just so I didn't contact my because it was throwing off my ability to just walk normally, like like that pendulum effect we were talking Mm -hmm. about. So I think a lot of people in Canada boots are not off. If it's minus thirty outside, we're wearing boots. No, exactly. (laughs) But it was just interesting because I was out for for a walk just to just to walk, and and then uh, and usually it's something that I consciously aware of and and. But it just directly changed the way I, I had to think about it. And then I readapted mm-hmm. to it. But it felt like this clunking effect because it would strike a little bit first. And then it wasn't this smooth pendulum effect. It was like boom, boom. And I, and I would. So I think that's what's happening even at a, at a lower threshold. But you're right. It, it, in in running, 
um, that same thing, the, like the higher heel you have, especially if you're at like a jogger and, and we're, we're not talking about, again, sprinting is there's that whole spectrum. Sprinting is more like right on the forefoot. You want that elasticity right away, um, triple extension. But for, for a, a jogger, that's going to start to matter a lot because they're landing, you know, even when they're not landing on the heel, there are, they are more mid foot, forefoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, it's it's hard to tell sometimes, but the, the key is they're landing right underneath themselves, and they're and they're using that elasticity from their posterior chain yeah. that it's right there for them. But Land close to under harder body. to do when you have a, a heel, a raised heel on your on your yeah, shoe. Like, and I even gave someone this analogy the other day. If I asked you to um, jump up and down ten times, if I got you to do it with shoes, you could probably do it and land on your heels each time. But yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of effort to retake off from the ground after you've hit the ground because you've you've stored no energy. Most people will do that by landing on their forefoot. Mm-hmm. Almost like everyone. No one will do it. If someone jumps up and lands down on their heel, especially if you're on a hard surface, they're going to do it once and they're not going to do it again because mm-hmm. it hurts and it sucks and it's super inefficient. So it's, it's like when you think about running, running is a series of jumps up and down. It's a series of hops. Why the hell would you do it on your heels if you wouldn't do it statically on your heels, just hopping up and down? Like it just, mm-hmm. that's a good way I find to just create a picture in people's brain. It, it's almost like a light bubble goes off and they're like, oh, I get it. I understand now that landing on my heel is inefficient. It's hard on my skeleton. There's no impact uh, absorption. There's no energy recycling. But if I land on my forefoot, I use my calf. I use the rest of my body upstream as like this giant spring to shelter my skeleton and store energy to recycle it back in. And mm-hmm. then they're like, okay, I, I, I understand that now. Mm-hmm. And that's where like companies like Ultra are very compelling, right? So they, um, it's a flat shoe. So they basically took, they still use cushioning in their shoes. And I think some of the shoes probably use a little bit more than what what I think would be good because it starts to mask some of that sensory input. But they have a wide forefoot and they have a flat shoe, mm-hmm. and those are the two non negotiables. And those are two like that's a that's a very um, compelling piece of footwear because you take away a lot of the negatives and you at least give people the opportunity to still run with a little bit of cushioning, but not to the point where it promotes the heel strike or smushes the front of their foot. And that's like. You know, smushing the front of the foot and having a narrow forefoot is a, is a conversation we've had before. And that's a, an equally important one because a foot that cannot splay out and dissipate energy well is going to have some serious consequences. If your foot is squished and your toes can't splay out, every landing you have, especially if you're landing on your forefoot like we should when we're running, is going to be much more costly and less efficient from the from the standpoint of your foot because your foot is in this weird wonky squished position. Well, that's another thing. It's another thing. We've been talking about the whole posterior chain sling part of your part of that is it goes all the way down to your foot so your your foot is actually a spring in and of itself so if you yeah. the spring is a the foot is a spring because of the way it is shaped and if you're landing um, and taking advantage of the the arch mechanics uh, and the windless mechanism of, of the arch that's going to contribute to that whole sequencing arch all the way up through achilles calf all the way up to the to the glute in that mm-hmm. one boom that elastic event so if you if you start to support the foot, it's not only that like it's like the running shoes with this whole supportive like and another the whole other story is when you put orthotics in running shoes like that's a whole other ball game yeah because you're taking you're yeah, turning the foot good. into more of like you're taking the springiness out of the foot right um, so you want you want like no actual like molded support in the shoe you want to you want to let your foot act like a spring in and of itself which contributes to the whole thing we're talking about well putting an orthotic in the foot and, and stopping the arches from being dynamic and creating basically a static foot is what you're doing when you have an orthotic mm-hmm. in there, right? You eliminate the ability of the foot to pronate, the ability of the foot to go in the other direction. It's a static structure. If you take um, a spring on a vehicle and you put two blocks, like you have this on mountain bikes now, okay? The suspension, you can either lock it out or you can allow 
for it to, to kind of absorb impact. When you put the lockout on, you go over a bump, that bump is harsh as hell on your bike. Mm-hmm. But when you have the suspension opened up, you feel almost no bump. So putting an orthotic in your shoe, especially a running shoe, where you have repetitive impacts going on, is kind of like putting the lockout on your mountain bike suspension than going on an aggressive trail. It just makes no sense. And unfortunately, a lot of people are told that's the time they definitely want to wear them. Like, you know, people who get so specific orthotics for their for running, right? And I think the the thought process <laughs> yeah. is just that's so crazy, um, just a little bit skewed there. But but it's and, and a lot of these people are just it's almost like a patchwork solution. It's like, well, you're getting pain when you're running. We'll try, you know, try preventing this motion that might be yeah. contributing to but it. Trying to help you as opposed it's to looking right at the th- no, exactly looking at well, how are you running? Right, that's mm-hmm. the the biggest thing. Um, so I, well, I Gary Ward put it well too. He said podiatrists deal with the knee down, so the knee, ankle, foot. Typical rehab therapists deal with the ankle up, so ankle, knee, hip. Mm-hmm. The disintegration between no one talks, no one is talking about the hip and the foot. Like mm-hmm. it's either ankle up or knee down. No one's talking about the entire sequence, and that integration is where I think we're missing out on this. Right? You mm-hmm. go see a physical therapist; they help you understand the mechanics of running. You go see a podiatrist; they take care of your foot and and or do what they think is taking care of your foot and put an orthotic in there. That disconnect between mm-hmm. the two is creating this massive gap in knowledge and in, and in, in connection that is needed in order for you to f- have a body that fully functions, mm-hmm. right? If you like the foot is connected to the hip, if you don't treat them as such, you're not going to get results, right? It That's has to thing. go. The whole thing has to work together. And even you like core all the way up to the core. I'm, I'm starting to think a lot more about the fact that we, you know, we talk about how the foot and the hip are super intricately connected, but I think the next level, and I think the next phase of our seminar where it goes to two days is to talk about, well, the core is actually what controls everything mm-hmm. because your hip can't work if your hip socket can't be held in a static, in a stable position. Um, and that happens from generating tension in through your core, proximal stability to allow for distal mm-hmm. mobility. So I think, um, yeah, when I spoke to Paul Thompson uh, um, on the podcast, we had a chat afterwards, and, and he really, he kind of changed my viewpoint, saying like, oh, shit, we got to talk about more about the core. And right now, in six and a half hours, we can't yeah. s- sneak it in there. But 2020, we got to do um, a two-day seminar. I think that's the, the best way to go. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, hopefully that, you know, hopefully that clears things up for people on heel striking. Because heel striking with running is a big problem. People seem to be confused. People seem to think heel striking is a, an efficient running pattern. And I think it's just they clearly those people don't understand the mechanics of running or how the body works is really. And, and it's not their fault. It's just no one's explained it to them probably in a way that resonates with them um, or they're emotionally connected to heel striking because they've done it forever. And mm-hmm. in that case, it's like you can only help someone that wants to be helped. But for the people that are interested in learning about this, you know, we don't want you to if you don't believe anything we say, that's fine. But just be open-minded to looking into something that we're saying to, to discover it for yourself. Um, if you're a runner that's getting injured repetitively year after year, you're not running correctly because the human body's default is to be pain-free and be an efficient endurance running machine. If you're getting injured, there's a fault happening somewhere. Are your shoes allowing you to run poorly? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe take mm-hmm. a look at your footwear. And don't go to something with... We're not saying go completely skin on pavement barefoot or going to a straight up barefoot shoe, although that's the kind of, you know, this human footwear that has a wide forefoot, flat, no cushioning, no arch support, thin sole. That's what you should use as your everyday walking shoe. And walking before you run and building some foot conditioning and capacity in the muscles of your foot is important uh, before you even get to running. But maybe look at something with less cushioning, something that's neutral, something with less padding, 
um, something that doesn't let you heel strike, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, because an optimal piece of footwear shouldn't let you slam your heels into the ground every time you run. Because exactly. it's inefficient and it is the catalyst for a lot of people getting injured repetitively. So, um, anything else? To say that's that it up. just yeah. take advantage of those elastics that you have and yeah use your springs you think mm. michael jordan could dunk from the free throw line because of his shoes no he used he knew how to use his springs very efficiently how to generate tension and to use these giant shock absorbers to kind of slingshot him to the rim um i had that conversation with someone the other day and and that was i, I think that was kind of a cool way of wording it um anyway thanks for listening we hope you benefited from that and we'll we'll catch you next week